Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no holdups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those holdups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same? Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood. Writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell. Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James. Welcome to Take Fountain. This is um, kind of revisiting the past, but also hopefully getting something new. I want to introduce my guest today, Jose Arroyo, a writer, a cartoonist, a comic, um, a performer, he just, he's the whole package, uh, the multi-hyphenate, what do I say? Welcome, Jose. It's lovely to have you on the show again. Thank you, Ella. Thank you. And it's been... Get your gorgeous face. Oh. I told you there would be traffic noise. That would be <laughs> I LA. I just heard a flurry of horns. That, I right. think they were announcing the podcast, though. So. That's, <laughs> That's yeah. what we love. How are yes. you? I'm doing fine. Thank you for yeah. having me on again. I, I looked it up and I did... This podcast in 2016, at the time I was working for Conan on his yep. TBS show, Conan O'Brien, and um, we had already gone to Cuba as part of his travel shows. So a lot, you know, has changed, obviously. Um, Conan's show ended on the, in June, mm-hmm. and the travel shows have been sort of in suspended animation because of the COVID situation. So, right. um, yeah, so, so a lot has changed. <laughs> What's that like when you when you come off a show like that? What what was your thinking? What did you think would happen next? So it was a mix of of feelings. For one thing, I had worked with Conan since two thousand two. So twenty twenty one, it's eighteen years of almost nineteen of uh, being with the same crew, the same people, and uh, writing late night humor. Day after day. Um, so so all that we knew, you know, that the, the, the show was coming to an end, that Conan was bringing it in for a landing. So I had time to to process that. Uh, but I didn't realize that you do miss so many of the non-show elements of it, the, com- you know, the community of your friends, the writers, the routine turned out to be a big thing that I missed. Um, and, um, you know, the the the. The daily affirmations of, hey, good job, or get them, we'll get them next time, or whatever it is. All that, of course, ended not just with the show ending, but with COVID locking us into our homes a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah. I've got a, a, a television commercial a couple of weeks ago and my age, uh, for a voice. And, um, and my agent reached out via email and said, do you want to do this via Source Connect from your studio in your home, or do you want to go to the studio in Santa Monica? And I said, I want to go to the studio. I want to mix with my tribe. You know, I want all of that. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to yes. drive down the, the you know, the, the 405. Um, 
I'm going to go to Santa Monica. I'm going to walk in and 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 have that. Hi, I'm here for this. And and would exactly. you be sparkling or still, Ms. James? Um, <laughs> Right. And this is this engineer and this engineer and, and here are all the clients on Zoom. And I was like, that's fine. But it was just and here's your script on the music stand and let's adjust your mic and here are your ca-. like all of that was just oh it was it was it was what, ambrosia. It was the stuff we either took for granted or got used to, you know, in the normal course of a of a actor's life. Um and you try not to down, you know, in, in certain ways, you try to be cool and downplay your excitement in general. You know, you just want to be part of a professional group. Hey, but I we, we, we miss it. When, <laughs> so when we're away from it, we come back to it. We just really appreciate it with much more intensity. And I've heard, I haven't done stand up since the COVID sort of abated, um, but um, that people, are, that audiences are very grateful to be out as well. Wow. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah. 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 I hadn't I hadn't thought of that side of it. I um I haven't dipped my toe back into the stand up pond. Um a couple of reasons. Um some of my friends picked up a breakthrough COVID from uh, forming. Okay. And I was like, you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna risk that. Um yes. just to be extra extra careful. But also I don't know whether my funny has gone. Do you know what I mean? I, like I've started to write all new material and okay. I thought, oh, I don't know. I mean, I uh. – Well, so this – I think this said like two different things because um, first of all, your funny is embedded in you. It's part of your DNA. It's part of your – the way you express yourself in this world. You, you know, it's a, it's a chord that you can play. But new material is new material, untested, untried. So that's like a double hurdle – one is that muscle memory that you may have to regain, and then the other is the, the all-new material. So that's quite a challenge for you. Yeah. Well, you know, you came along, thank you, to my one-woman show that yes, started off as two shows on one night and went for 17 weeks and finished the week before COVID. Um, oh, my god! So I was so grateful because I, I was producing and investing and, and doing all of that myself. So that would have been... That would have been really awful. And then I streamed it through uh, an overseas site called showcatcher.com that was doing oh. a lot of theatre in London and, and pantomime and that kind of thing. And I crept in off the back of that. And that was Congrats. a little bit to be able to offer. Thank you. To be able to offer that to audiences internationally. Um, you know, but it was a 44-minute show run on a streamer. And um, so, you know, that was... It, that had all of its own thing that was going on. Um, yes. And a part of that is part of being a performer. There's a, tremendous, there's a tremendous drive now to create your own content. And what that means is more than writing something and performing it. It means um, am I going to employ a professional crew to be able to shoot this and then sell it to Netflix? Yes. Um, is that where I, where I should be going? And that just seemed like too much for me at Oh, okay. I yeah. love your traffic. I'm sure you just... <laughs> so I live outside the Atlanta Motor Speedway. No, it just sounds like it sometimes. <laughs> I just knew that if I had a, uh, a, a podcast, it would be extremely loud out there. Um, but I live on, uh, you know, near, near 
a busy street. So that's uh, okay. Yeah, there are, yeah. Many th- there are many things you will be judged for in your life, and this is not one of them. Right? <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. That's it. Um, so, so um, tell me about it. with the leaving of Co- of, of Conan, which yes. I nearly COVID. Um, was there? Uh, were there? Did you think to yourself, okay, this is what I want to do now, or had there been things bubbling away? Naturally. So, eighteen years, you're in the same job. And you can't help but wonder what's on the other side of the fence. And for my, for me, the other fe- side of the fence was scripted work, sitcom writing, um, episodic stories that go from one, one day to, to another, or one episode, and they're connected. So um, stories like Blackish, or you know, cartoons like um, Bob's Burgers and things like that that I just related to, enjoyed. Hacks is a show, and I thought, what would it be like to come into a meeting and say, okay, well, this is where this arc is taking us. Um, you know, with very few exceptions, that's just not something that they do in late night. Uh, so, so I was very curious about that. And it turns out that that is its own skill set. So we were talking about your one person show versus stand up. Mm-hmm. They're similar elements, but they're two different animals. You're creating an emotional arc in your one person show that had to be sustained over 44 minutes. Um, and, you know, a, a stand-up set is a, had just a different, different animal. Um, so I think, I think it was similar. I, I was feeling the same things, which was, I'm really good at this after 18 years. I want to see what else is out there. So, so after the show ended on the 25th, I told my agent, I want no more to do with late night writing. Do not put me up for consideration. Um, some people, uh, you know, of my friends got jobs in late in, uh, in talk show writing right away. Mm. I was just not interested. So I sent her my pilots, you know, <laughs> pilots that I'd been working on for years, um, kind of kept to myself and, um, very muted response. Let's just say that. So, uh, I, because I'm such a, sort of determined person, I thought, well, then the answer is more pilots. I have to write my way up in terms of skill level so that Mm. I can play with other people who are, who are being offered positions, you know, or creating their own stories, as you were saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do acknowledge in front of your viewers that my stand-up jokey side is far more developed than my story side. So that I I think I have to bring that up. Um, And, uh, and that's where I am now. I'm trying to bring that up. When you're as the soon best. as talk show ended, I started writing pilots, um, but and finishing the the comic book. So, when you're the best at what you do, and then you're adding another skill set, how does that feel? Well, I, I would say that uh, you know you're. It's if you are a clarinetist in an orchestra. And you mm. loved it, but after 18 years, you were tired of playing clarinet in an orchestra. You say, I want to go to a jazz group. They're going to tell you that is a different kind of playing. You've got the skill. You have all the things, but the feeling, the spirit of it is different. And there may be a, a, a learning curve re- regarding how to learn how to play a different kind of clarinet. And that's what I feel like for me is I got good at a certain kind of joke writing short form, you know, uh, quick, quick release. <laughs> um, and then I, I, 
yeah, now I have to figure out a, a way to sustain the story longer and uh, make it intriguing beyond one episode, but, but making a reader say, okay, good, what's next? Okay. So that has been uh, something that I, that I need to, that I have to, to focus on more. This for me means taking classes, by the way. Um, I am, I acknowledge where I'm not good at something and I think I'm not good at self-directing my, mm -hmm. my pilot writing. So I need to be held in, in, into account, you know, with uh, deadlines and peer readings and, you know, you read mine, I'll critique yours and so on. And that's been very helpful. I joined a writer's group uh, that keeps me somewhat honest. <laughs> and I think the other thing is before one gets exposed to something like this, one has this something is happening in the background that you're aware of but not really aware of. And over the past two, three years, we've had things like Fleabag and, ah. um, um, oh, God, it was just on the tip of my tongue and now it's um, this, I will destroy you. I, uh, oh, I mean, yes, yes, uh, yes. Right. I may destroy you. Yes. Um, so we've got all of these seemingly first-timers creating their own their own product that, that the, the various platforms have gone, oh, I want this, I want this. Now, of course, we know the story behind it. There's a lot more than that. But suddenly there was this, oh, well, if I want to do something, I've got to be that good. I've got to be fleabag. You know, I've got to take this to the Edinburgh Festival and, and the, do the Fringe. And is that my, like, there's a pathway, right? Yes, um, yes. And, and the other thing that you said that I really agree with, um, and I know we've discussed this before, but maybe not publicly, is that... When I came over here in Australia, I was the top of my game, you know, as a as a voice actor, not not as an actor, um, not as a not as a comedian, um, but certainly in that voice sphere. And then you come and you're nobody, yeah. um, not unkindly, but no one is aware of of what you do, um, and so there's a, a proving. That, that has to happen and a meeting with the right people, like every meeting has to be a winner. Um, and, <laughs> yes. and, and also, I think, um, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, when I was younger, everything, one thing led to another, to another, to another. And here, I'm sorry, that, that's now my, my noise is the, the, the trash being collected. <laughs> we live in a big city, Ella. We this live is a big city. Yes. Um, this is but normal. one thing leading to another, to another, to another. And, um, and I did a couple of things where I was um, ADR, for example. So recording dialogue from a film that had already been completed and the particular actor whose names I can't say because of... I love it. It's First, his job, horns. so he likes. <laughs> it's percussion. I had horns. You have percussion. We're, we should we should mix them. Right? I think so. Um, but yeah, so so I started working ADR for these these very well known actors, and uh, and and providing those voices. And I said to my agent, um, now that I now that I'm working with this studio, should we also let them know that I can do this accent and this accent and this accent. And, and he said, oh, no, no. We want them to know you as the expert in that. 
Okay. And that's not... So, narrowing fo- your focus... So his, his thinking was we... We make you very specific to a certain skill set and kind of That's ignore it. your other talents. Yeah. So I was like, oh. um, but, you know, you've got these people working on your behalf. They know what they're doing. And so that's what you do. And then most recently, I got the most fun job as Julie Andrews from Bridgerton. I was uh, Lady Whistleblown for the NFL draft. <laughs> Yay. And that that's great. Fun. So um, the combination of Bridgerton with the NFL draft is just a, a just an amazing you you know, juxtaposition. The showrunner's Twitter feed had people going, "Oh my god, I didn't know Julie Andrews liked football!" Yay! And of course, I was like, "It's me, tis I. I can do this. Quick, get in touch with casting for Bridgerton in London. Like I can do this." Oh my gosh! But, but that's, that's fantastic. But it is. But it's like um, one thing doesn't lead to another, to another, to another. You've got to keep grinding away and exactly, and exactly. Do far more training, like you with your classes. I do far more training than I did in the previous twenty years of my career. Because you are outlining a different path for yourself. So then the question becomes. Uh, for me anyway, what is your keel? What is the thing that you can sort of, you know, when you, as you're exploring different things like taking classes and so on, what do you come back to? And I, this may be a little, you know, um, shallow or flighty or whatever. It has to be something I really want to do. And I, so basically I won't take uh, anything, any job offer just, just for, the you know satisfaction of, of getting a paycheck at this point. Maybe I'm just not starving enough yet. Um, everything has to go back to what is it inside me that I want to pro, you know that I want to bring out, um, and that has been guiding me these last five. It's only been five months since the show ended. What mm. is what do I want to bring out from within myself? And so that has led me to playing more music, uh, learning Garage Band, and um, and drawing and and the things that kind of water my soul. Right. That's, I love that you've tapped into that at, because sometimes it can be like you're, uh, I can't even think of an analogy, maybe a ship being tossed in a storm because you have so much that you could do that you go, oh, I'll do that and, oh, I'll do that and I'll do this, you know. Um, but I've turned down some things because they, they weren't the right rate and um, yes. and I don't think in our industry we can afford to be that person that lowers the value of of what we do uh, in our craft. Um, but there has been for some voice actors, for example, because we're largely working from a home studio, um, that clients have said, not to me, but but to others, oh, well, you know, you're just doing this from your home studio, so what's your rate now? Oh, well, of course, of course. I mean, Really, the rate should be higher because they're now, you know, doing things as engineers that they wouldn't do previously. So I have not had to entertain that, thank goodness. But I think that, as you said, finding your keel, which is many things, but finding your keel and and not, it's not arrogance. It's, it's not, do you know who I am? But it's a. I don't feel it. It's not arrogance. I feel it is staying in line with, um, 
your your calling in in whatever you're doing. So so it, it, I mean it, it it just sounds so shallow because we're full of sort of pop sentimental um, self help jargon. But really, if you can find something that fulfills you, then then you are on the right track for who you are. Um, and I'm talking about yes. accounting. I'm talking about anything. So if it fulfills you, then that you know is is in line with your life's purpose, with what what you feel you were put on this earth to do. I I firmly believe that. I have to believe that. I. I'm right now in the dark or in a fog of non-employment, of non-income. And I, and I think this industry rewards people who can get comfortable in that fog mm-hmm. and, and, and say, keep walking, keep, keep charting your course and so on, because something will present itself and you will, you will go to it. You just have to stay. You just have to not despair or give up. Again, and I'm fully aware the- that I'm only five months out of a job mm-hmm. and that this is, this is – I know that other people have been out longer and have had to deal with other uh, you know, COVID-related stoppages or issues or health issues and so on. Uh, but I still – but sorry, my feelings are still still the same is, is um, find your true calling and, and pursue it. Oh, it's so lovely to hear you articulate that. Yeah. And I, I wonder what you think about this, that notion that when when we first set out, we have made a decision that this is what fulfills us. And then when we have a, um, an, a realization or a, an understanding or a change that, oh, hang on, that no longer does it for me, um, I'm going to be brave and change. I'm going um, to be brave and change. Uh, and it is and it takes guts. It takes yeah. guts because the the, the the thing that you're used to, the thing that you're familiar with, for example, you staying in Australia, would have been the easy thing to do. It just would have um, not nurtured your soul. Your soul said, "No, I have to try it in you know in this bigger field and in this bigger world." Um, yeah. And can I? So may I ask you, do you ever regret Never. not staying in Australia? Never. Never. This has been the hardest thing on so many levels that I have ever done. It is, there are a number of things. We talk about the tribe. The tribe formed a lot of my friendships. And without a tribe here, it can be very lonely, but fortunately we have FaceTime and people can be global. Um, I mean, financially, certainly, one hemorrhages money, um, right? But it is what it is. But the people I've met, the experiences that I've had, the learning I've had across personal and professional has been immense. Yes. I, I, yes. I, would, I regret nothing, absolutely. Ah, and I saw great. something um, the other day. It was so funny. The little... 25-year-old, I think, daughter of a friend of mine in Australia who lives in rural Australia in the country. And, um, and she posted on Instagram stories this wonderful piece of um, young people, young people, young people 
you know, running through fields and dangling their legs off cliffs. And, and the narrative with music was if you are brave and you leave what you know and you move to a new country and you do this, you will be happy. And, and I was so excited to see her post this. <laughs> and so I wrote, I wrote, that's me, that's me. Heart, 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 claps, you know. And she, <laughs> she wrote... It's the best thing I ever done. Ah, I love it. I ever done. She moved two hours north. Oh, that was her big move? That was her big move. <laughs> so the other thing is, sounds like I'm laughing at her. Not at all. What I'm recognising <laughs> is that our move can be to stay in the same place, but internal. Internal. It can be a physical move. It can be the house down the road, like whatever our bravery is, yes. is what it is inside. Yes. I 100% agree with that, that you don't have to physically move anywhere. You just have to, uh, in, in the case of this career that I had writing late night jokes, and now I'm moving to trying to find my footing on inscripted. That is a big change. And, and it's, you know, took place in this apartment. So you're right. It's internal. The other thing is there's an assumption, or at least maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm just being anecdotal, there's, a, there's kind of an assumption that when you reach a certain stage in your career, you'll have all the contacts lined up. So you can just reach out and say, right. hey, let's grab a coffee. Let's, um, I want to talk to you about you know, me moving into this sphere. And, and you either don't have those specific contacts or people that you've known for a long time aren't prepared to share their contacts with you. Like, yeah. What's that, that been like? So that's been a, a totally a factor of my um, combination of shyness and um, um, a f it's actually a, an unhealthy mix of shyness and arrogance because I don't want to add. I know I know showrunners and I know um, uh, people who are producers of sitcoms and so on, and I don't want to meet them like this. You know, like please, can I? can think about me for a job and so on. Um, and that is a lack of humility on my part, to be honest. And I, I, I may be suffering the consequences of that. But that is paired with don't rock the boat. Don't impose yourself. They have their own staff and their own people. Who are you and all this stuff. So it's a high, high you know, over, it's an imbalance of self-esteem that I think will be ironed out once um, uh you know, something will have to like shift inside me where I can where yeah. I can meet them on an even plane. It's like, OK, well, you have an opportunity and I'm looking for an opportunity. Can we talk about an opportunity? Um, yeah, I have to get there. They never have I'll seen you like this. They have ne may, maybe never even thought, oh, I didn't exactly. know you wanted to do that. You'd be perfect for this. Blah, 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 blah. A thousand percent. I'm I am assuming that uh, the world knows that I'm at large and at liberty. And it's, it's just not true. It's just not true. So, so it does behoove me to just knock, knock on, the, knock on some, some doors. You're listening to Take Fountain with Ella James. Do you have, let's say, a spiritual or a mental health practice to uh, move you through? I have daily habits. 
So they're neither, they're not spiritual necessarily, but the things that ground me are uh, writing exercises and drawing exercises and push-ups, being very candid every day. Um, so, and, and it's one of the, maybe it's a little bit of um, compulsive things, but I feel like once I have given my hours to, to maintaining my skills, then I have done all that I can do mm-hmm. for myself, for myself. Um, it does seem since this conversation that I could probably grow the skill of reaching out to people and telling them that I, yeah, I'm looking for, for scripted opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as like maintaining my ability to write and to draw and to stay physically healthy, um, I do what I can every day to stay available, you know, mm-hmm. to be ready when called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my, I think that's that my... uh, grounding, that's a good word. That's, that's what it is. It grounds um, me. Exactly, exactly. And not to be, I found that I had to jettison some of my should friends. You should. Mm. You should. You should. And, and I'm like, mm, that's, that's you. Don't. But Don't it's not should true. all over me. I hate right. when people should all over. Doesn't exist on my keyboard now. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, advice that uh, people are, are comfortable giving. You're right. Yeah, and um, particularly, um, you know. Uh, so I ran the show for 17 weeks. And it was 60% scripted, 40% improv, and it depended on the audience on the night. Um, I could see them beyond those front rows and the lights and so on. I could see what was taking them on a journey, and I could could play that, which was was great. That very satisfying for me. and over the, those 17 weeks, 17 times 60 was the audience that saw it. Don't make me yes. do the maths. But there were three <laughs> people who um, unsolicited and unskilled decided that they wanted to offer me their advice as to what right. I should do with my show, right? And I found that really weird because... <laughs> Old Ella would have gone, oh, my God, I'm getting it so wrong. Why didn't I think of that? And everyone must be laughing at me. You know, I mean, self-esteem 101. But instead I was like, "Um, wow, I wonder where that's coming from. Are they qualified to offer that advice? Um, How much of this should I take on board? And then I got very quickly to none of it. Oh, okay. Show. If they want okay. to do it, let them put on a show. Let <laughs> right, them right, create right. something and, and put on a show. You, because it was very, and it wasn't arrogant. Like, um, I had I had long, very experienced producers and writers, and funny people like you, um, who were all of those things, come to the show and be glorious in your praise. Um, gosh, that was very religious glorious in your praise um <laughs> but it it was and it it was great it made me feel good um but nobody of your caliber said and this is what i think you should do 
or this I is see. what I think you could do. I see, right? I see. And I think yeah. it also, it's very important when you've found your keel and you know what you're doing, find qualified people. Like it's not that you don't want advice, but yes. find qualified people who are going to move you in a different direction. Like maybe it does need to all go up in the air and be shaken about and and you do have that moment where you go, ah, because you're too close to it or or you yes. lack a skill set in a certain area. That's yes. fine. Um, and be open to that. But when you're nurturing your little baby squirrel, um, you've got to keep it close, haven't you? I do feel like I, like a, the, the scripted is my little squirrel, is my baby squirrel. Uh, and I agree. It's funny. I'm in a writer's group where the point is to get feedback from your peers. Um, and I haven't had the same situation of performing in front of an audience and then get, getting unsolicited advice from audience members. That has to be difficult to, to deal with. Um, but uh, when it's your professional peers and so on, even those, you can take or leave the advice. You can say, okay, well, well I... Well, because I then can... they, they may, their particular problem, problem right. could be that they've always looked at their own lives through a very blinkered one-dimensional lens. So yes, if they're yes. bringing that to the party, you've got to ask yourself, well, how, how valuable is that going to be to my project? How can that Even help me? Exactly. Is very successful at what they do, they may not know how to get your project going yes. forward. And, yes. and so it's, uh, we, I mean, I've, I always found that I needed somebody in my court who could make those calls for me and set them up and I I'll see. handle them. But it's kind of that, the movie kind of manager. You know, yes. somebody called the, Morty. The one that you said, see in a movie, yes. And the yeah. number of, I mean, I have, I have four, four, four representatives who look after me, none of whom know each other. Well, there's voice, theatrical, uh, commercial, there's East Coast, West Coast. Um, no, and, but it's taken me eight years to, to get each of them also to the point where I can have an open conversation with them without any of those, excuse me, the meek shall inherit the earth if that's all right with the rest of you. Sorry to trouble you. <laughs> you called me back. Like, right? Or I'm not important It doesn't enough. serve to be meek. It's, it, there's uh, a friend of mine once told me it's actually a kind of pride to lower yourself or debase yourself. You're, you're not – and I, I, this is – getting religious, but I don't, you know, I, uh, but he's saying, you know, you're, you're kind of in, insulting your creator by playing yourself down too much because that yep. creator didn't make, didn't make you, well, didn't want well, you one to thing I was told was, you know, these reps who've taken you on, they've taken you on because they believe in you. So why would you, yes. why would you put any doubt in there? Like exactly. you want to grow, you don't. Um, and even when it's a question of, um, having a regular chat with them, um, you know, to say, what could, what could I be doing? What could I bring to the table that's going to make your life easier? What, what do we need to do here? Um, learning how to have those kinds of conversations. Yes. It, yes. You know. Yes. And staying and in, uh, in on top times. of them or in touch with them and so on, because I think it's almost subconscious yeah. that when yeah. you are reaching out to them, then they're more aware of you in general. And their little antennas will pick up uh, opportunities 
that they may have ignored if if you hadn't been in touch with them. So uh, very much, yeah. It's, yeah. I think it's very important to do that. And by the way, I'm not just telling you, I'm telling me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, more often the best Jose. conversations are when, <laughs> right? The best conversations are when, uh, when we, we're able to take something away that oftentimes I say something to someone um, and it, it, the lesson is for me. It's for you and, as well, um, exactly. And I want, I want to move to talking about the pandemic. And one of the biggest things for me in the pandemic was that I had a lot of time. And so I started, I started going down that um, um, consciousness, meditation, awake awareness kind of route where I um, was able to study with various people on specific courses online and um, and my neighbours, I would tell them a little bit of what I was doing and they would see a change in me and oh. and they were like, um, oh, my God, Ella, you should so be like a teacher of this, like people would so, you know. And uh, But I realised that when I start teaching, I stop learning. And, okay, okay. And was, right? And it was around that time that I realised too that whatever I was saying to them or to anybody was to bed in what I was learning, not that uh, I had I this great, vast knowledge that I should share with the world, you know, because, guru, <laughs> you know, guruism is a career path, particularly in California, right? Yes, Where no you question. Learn uh, then you set yourself I, up to, and I would make a freaking amazing guru, um, I, I can I be your underling? I'll be I'll you're the guru and then yes. I'll be the person who sort of uh you know runs interference with the media and saying, you know, uh when Ella said give every everyone give her money, what she meant was everyone give I'll, me money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she meant literally give her money. So <laughs> So let's That's talk great. about the Yeah, pandemic. you're absolutely right. Guru is a career choice, especially it is a in career California. Choice. You know, um, because the speaking circuit, the speaking, the corporate speaking yes. circuit is, is based on find something that you do really well, generally sales or customer service, yes. write a book about it, create online content for it, and then get in front of large audiences yes. and, and prowl the stage with, um, uh, you know, a, oh, um, right. hands free mic. Those, mics, those yes. mics, hands free, hands free mics, and be our flower lady. Um, you know, you've always got to have a, a flower on your lapel yes. if you're a Make woman. Make yourself Not memorable. Make yourself memorable and have something that, um, what, do, what do you call it when you have uh, the, the, uh, the capital letter at the front of the word that then spells something? A mnemonic. Oh, yes, a mnemonic. yes. You've got yes, to have yes. a mnemonic. And yes, uh, and yes. you have stories. Don't even get me started. <laughs> I love it. So, what does it mean to be best? It means to be bold. It means to be extra. It means to be you know super talented and T. <laughs> we'll get tangible. back to It's got to be tangible. Tangible. There we go. There. <laughs> you can be able to reach out and touch it. Oh my gosh. So I, listen, you uh, might have a new career. Let's write a sitcom about a corporate speaker who discovers themselves so through funny. the BS that they tell on stage. Believe oh. it or not, it was a sitcom with Jason Alexander, and it lasted less than a season. He was a motivational oh. speaker. And I don't remember where, uh, what channel it had on, but it was shortly after 
his success on Seinfeld. And so and so it was out in the ether. It's like, okay, this is a whole world unto itself. These motivational speakers and so on. Uh, It's um, oh, and there was that uh, there was that movie uh, also where um, uh, I'm flaking out now. But uh, that world is totally ripe for exploit, you know, for picking at. So well, (laughs) anything with a human ego is is right pickings. You know, yes, yes. But I also think we're all eager to like. We all hope someone else has the answer, don't you? Yeah, but everything. Yeah, but we know. I know now that everything is inside. It's already there. I'm just unpicking the damage, the BS that that I believed when. Uh, you know, I I thought that I had to take it from. Oops, my light's falling over. To take oh. the. Um, that's okay. It's just. Where's Where's my lighting technician? It's a, Where? it's a very oh, localized it's earthquake. <laughs> uh, um, but I think peeling away all of that stuff, knowing that the expertise has to come from the experts which is why we go to a writing group so that we're learning from our cohort, from our peers. Um, is that a nice experience? Do you enjoy that? I do because, uh, because I get to see what other people are working on and I get to either admire or, you know, admire it or say, Oh, well, I, I feel like there's, I have the tools, a small toolkit that I think could help adjust the things that I feel are, are, are missing or, or not quite working for me. And then I just present it. I just say, hey, this, you know, and I always say, if you disagree with me, then you're right, because I'm not going to wrestle, you know, this is, this is a collaborative group. And so, um, but, but it's good to have uh, notes from the outside for something that you, like you said, you, you may have been so close to it, you don't see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So it helps mm-hmm. to have it helps to have that, and also it's just accountability. You know, at some point it's going to be my turn to turn in something and get notes, so I can't just uh, fritter away the days. You know? Yeah, a, a friend of mine in Australia, um, she owns a uh, owned a publishing house, and um, uh, she's just an extraordinary woman. And I met her when I interviewed her for her first book. Um, and she wanted to talk to me the other day because a couple of weeks ago because she felt that I should be writing a book. And my attitude to excuse me. Right. My attitude towards writing a book is before you write one, read three. Um, ah, okay. Right. Um, but she, she said to me in the middle of it, she said, Ella, it came to me the other day. Ella, storyteller. Huh? Your storyteller, and I was like, "Oh, that's freaking! <laughs> oh my god!" You know, what is she making a play on your name, storyteller? Yeah, I love it. Okay. Um, and if I was if I was Ella James Incorporated, I would probably sling that off to my marketing department. Of course. And say, what will we do with this? But when you're your own marketing department, it's like. Oh, that's nice. I'm going to put that off to one side. (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, Two things I want to talk about. Uh, So uh, your your cartoon, your latest comic book. Uh, But before we do that, let's talk about the pandemic. How was it for you? The pandemic started, um, you know, in around March of 2020. And at that time, 
Conan and a small group of us writers were going to go to Argentina to do a Conan Abroad, it's Conan Without Borders show. So the first indication that something was up was we were getting these daily notices that certain flights were stopping and certain places were no longer available to go to fly. And the producer at one point said, given the rate of this infection, we will it is possible that we could go to Argentina and then not be allowed back in the US without being quarantined. So so we canceled the the trip and um and shortly after they closed down Warner Brothers and we were all sent home. And um Conan still had to do shows, but now he was doing them from his home. And so the writers quickly, we know, we all learned the same languages, the languages of Zoom, of, of, um, of different uh, you know, meetings and, and, and so on. Um, I, was, uh, I, didn't get into, I didn't get into sourdough making, but um, I did get into yogurt making of all things. I, I don't know why, but I, I, I started doing that. Um, and I was sort of processing the fact that, that I may never see the group that we were working with at Warner Brothers ever again in the context of work, of work relations. You know, we, I could email them and so on, but the studio was closed. And, and month after month, as we, we were told early on, well, by, by the fall, this will all reopen. It didn't. And then spring, or you know, it never did. And finally, he announced that he was ending the TBS show. And sure enough, it was a strange for me career-wise and for per, you know, personality because I yeah. honestly, my friends were at work as well. Yeah. Most of my friends or people I saw every day were yeah. at work. So I lost and the, you know, both the, the work and the, and the personal relationships. Um, and I just, had to, I, I just had to deal with that. I was... Very fortunate in that I and in that I didn't lose anybody close to me to the actual, you know, to the actual virus. So um, I can't say that I had, uh, you know, in, in any way, sort of the worst extremes of what was going on. I was scared, um, yeah. but mostly scared because at the time, President Trump, the then President Trump, was to me not showing very good leadership. Uh, for, to put it to put it as mildly as possible, so I felt like the, we're not being taken care of by our, you know, by the government as well as we should be, and this seems to be have you know running rampant, um, and and so, it, it, you know, it was difficult to sort of keep maintain morale uh, mm. at that time. So I, yeah. again, I, I I would say that I was con- I could consider myself very lucky that I um, that the virus itself didn't affect people close to me. So, and I know it did for a lot of others. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I know of people. Yes. Um, I know people connected to people and, uh, people that I've worked with, but no close friends. Yes. Thank goodness. Yes. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> but, it, you know, I, I mean, some people overseas were like, I can't get my hair cut. Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, right. my, neighbor, my neighbor just died. Right. Yes, exactly, exactly. Really the, it, those the, are the two the extremes. I can't get my yeah. hair cut, my neighbor died, yes. And I, I mean, I un- underwent a personal transformation in that I started off the pandemic morbidly obese, and now, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm half my body weight, but one of the things for me was that, thank you, but if for I got... Health, wonderful. 
If I got sick, they weren't even going to put me in a hospital. You know, they, they, were, they were saying that the, if you were morbidly obese, they're just going to kind of leave you in the car park kind of thing. I mean, remember in the early yes. days, there were all kinds of yes. rumors and, and yes. it, was, it was scary. And uh, yes. that, was, that was a real thing. Um, it, it actually Naturally. wasn't a motivator because I was already working with a dietitian on, on resolving that particular thing. But, but it was certainly a, a fear and, uh, and I was very, I was going to Trader Joe's to do a shop once a fortnight and I was shopping for some of my neighbours who were much older and, and certainly weren't leaving the house. Um, and in those days, of course, it was if you are over 70, you are at extreme risk. Um, yes. And, uh, and I would go out walking on my own or, or with a friend. But, yeah, it was, um, there was, I knew at the beginning of it that I was going to be a different person at the end of it. But at one stage, I thought the end was going to be two weeks away. And naturally, we are, they kept yeah. extending that deadline. It's down for I, two weeks. <laughs> I, do, I do feel that no matter what happens with new variants and so on, that we will probably never go back to that full bore quarantine. We're just too ornery as a, as a country right now to ever want to ever be told, okay, everybody go back in their homes and so on. So, I mean, that's worrisome for me because, um, you know, we don't know what's coming uh, ahead. I think we went from, you know, full shutdown to this gray area, which is where we are now, mm-hmm. where, like you said, you're, you know, you might be worried about doing stand-up in, in enclosed places. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the holiday shopping season is, is, is coming upon us and there will be more opportunities to, to congregate. It's getting colder and so on. Uh, so this is the first winter uh, of this new gray era um, mm, and mm. curious to see you know wh- how how we'll behave but I don't think anyone is going to force us to be going to go back home and stay there the way we did early on um, I just don't I don't think so uh, I, don't I don't know what the future holds no exactly exactly which again leads us to uh, and I'm sure you found this to sort of grow your inner resources a little more, um, become comfortable with that become lack of, of mobility. And, yeah, not like it, but have to deal with it and and you know, grow skills to to manage it. You know what I missed more than anything: random contact with strangers. Uh. Exactly. I, I can exactly. zoom my friends. I miss orgies too, Ella. <laughs> and the thing is, no, I, I agree though. I, I agree. I agree. This, the, the, the habit, that, but also, you know, to have to be masked. We don't see the full face and so on. It did. It took oh, a toll. Me without lipstick. I mean, look at it. It's not good. <laughs> it took Which a toll on her. Which comic book. Oh, thank you. Well, there it is. Yes, that you could way to this. What a strap! You could put two straps on it and just wear it as a. Why haven't? That's a great marketing thing. Let's get our marketing department to work mar- on that. Somewhere in LA. So, so what LA is holding up is a is a comic book that I wrote and drew, mo- you know, most of which kind of came together during the pandemic, and it's um, kind of a, a quirky funny, thoughtful book of what could be happening in Los Angeles over the course of 24 hours. 
Um, and there's no doubt. And again, well, there's a good. OK, so, so somewhere in L.A., a couple tells each other their real ages. This is just something that's happening in L.A. at that hour. Um, oh, my gosh. And somewhere a Yorkie is shitting in a bag. That was one of my favorite. In a Fendi bag, yes. Somewhere in L.A., a Yorkie shits in a Fendi bag. Again, because because that's, you know, there, there, there are wealthy people here who buy designer bags and tiny designer dogs. And so I, I kind of like that one. Uh, somewhere in L.A., a director calls for a cut that the editor had suggested four hours earlier. That comes Every from a friend of mine would be like, oh, yeah. So my friend who's an editor said, this is great. I, I, <laughs> I touched a nerve with that one among the people in the editing community who obviously are constantly, you know, in a dark room. They know their story. They know their project. And yet they have to wait for the producer or the director to tell them what to cut, what to what to leave in. Yeah. Employ me for my expertise and then keep telling me how to do it over and over and over. <laughs> no, forget. That, exactly. Right, don't that trust my skills. description that came through, would you ever accept that job? Would I ever accept which jobs? Oh, As no, no of course not. Of course of not. Course yes. Not. Please second guess me at every turn. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ella, when you grow up, would you like to rush somewhere at five o'clock in the morning and have, and be in makeup for... 10 hours and then, right, like, yeah. no, that's not what I thought I was doing, but I want to lift writer's words off the page. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. absolutely wonderful. When, when did it come out? So it came out officially last month. I posted yeah. it on uh, Amazon and it's downloadable as a Kindle and, and as well as a paper copy that you can get. I think it's less than five bucks. Um, and the reason I did it is because I got the idea years ago that like, oh, I wish I had a I wish somebody would make a quirky comic book about 24 hours in the life of L.A. And I realized it, it had to be me. I, I, I had to do it in order to be to make it the way I wanted it to make it. Mm -hmm. So I avoided most landmarky things. I didn't uh, do anything about Hollywood Boulevard and stuff. And I just focused on these smaller, more intimate moments, some of which could only take place in L.A., uh, and some which are more universal. Um, but it always with the sort of the background of, yes, yeah, somewhere in L.A., a dishwasher bikes from Westwood to Echo Park with $72.50 in his shoe. I did that. Stipple. I just wanted to make a little, I wanted to, it's like a little window or a portal into this man's life. and And so I I did stipple inking or whatever. It took hours and hours to put all those dots to make it look like it was night and light, you know, light from different places was hitting him. So, yeah. It's just so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. As usual, you and I could speak for hours. And in fact, I think we just have. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I wish you, I wish you all the best with this, but I wish you all the best with everything um, as you. usual, let's close the podcast with me saying, don't forget to include a role for me. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so exciting to speak to you again. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And, uh, and, and you know, blessings to both of us. And, and, and I look forward to touching base again soon. Fantastic. Thank you so much. 
Okay, bye. You've been listening to Tate Fountain with Ella James. Available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.